This is Fair Examination on the Mormon Faircast. Fair Examination takes a close look at interesting and sometimes difficult issues facing the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and its members. This is part two of a two-part interview. Um, One of the other suggestions this article makes is to work to make your faith community supportive of these you know, members who are uh, of the same sex attracted community um, and, and, you know, or find a community that, it, that is supportive. So I guess in applying this in a church context, um, you know, the firesides you mentioned, I think, is a way that people within the community can help find people who are, who are committed to the gospel, who maybe have a more developed understanding of these issues. But, um, you know, one of the other ways, I suppose, is, you know, something like this podcast, right? Yes. Um, Are there other ways that you've found that you can help members of the church understand? I think we are obligated um, in, in order to do that. Something that has been very beneficial for me is I've always gone to every new bishop that I could or to my stake president and told them outright, I have a son who is gay, and I would like to let you know that any time someone moves into the ward or someone comes to you and said, this is an issue I'm dealing with, if there's a mother involved in this, I would be more than happy to have you give them my name and say, here's another mother in the ward who has dealt with this because there is such an aloneness that came when when this happened and also a huge amount of shame also what what did I do to cause this or whatever and being able to communicate to other moms uh, we have a mom's luncheon group actually and we go out four times a year and invite whoever would like to come with us, because we believe that um, by sharing is the only way, by, by talking through these issues with others, it's the only way really that, uh, that, 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 that shame and the, the just intense heartache that you feel like most of the time you can't even deal with can be overcome. So that's what I, I talk to, to bishops or to really whoever I, who I can talk to uh, about this issue and to maybe be a little more open with it. I certainly don't feel like maybe I would stand up in testimony meeting and say, hi, you know, this is uh, what I'm dealing with. But sometimes in, in lessons, in quiet moments, in Relief Society, I believe that we are obligated, really, uh, since this is a uh, something that has happened in our lives, to share with others. Here are some ways of dealing with this. Do people in your wards know that your sons are experiencing same-sex attraction? Yes, I left the ward about six months ago, but yes, they did. When I I live, I've only lived in Utah five years, and I was Me too. pretty quiet about the whole thing um, in my former life in Canada. And um, when I moved here, I said to myself, I have to be more open. I've come to terms with this now. I'm at peace. And I think I've got some, you know, knowledge that somebody could use. And, for instance, it came up in the curriculum in 
Priesthood Relief Society on Sunday because it was part of the lesson. The lesson was on chastity, and there was a paragraph on homosexuality. And I, I had no problem commenting and, um, and just said, you know, I have a gay son, and if any of you have this situation in your life, please feel free to contact us. And my daughter and I have experienced this, and we can help. And, um, you know, there's a lot of prejudice out there still. You know, if people don't know someone... Then they, you know, I, I mean, I was the same way, you know. Uh, but yeah, I think it's important to be open and and to educate to, others. Educate others. Yeah. How has that been received in your wards as you have tried to be open and educate others? The first time I gave a Relief Society lesson, and I had my lesson all prepared and felt fairly comfortable with it, and. Uh, uh, about halfway through the lesson, I felt a very strong prompting that I needed to, in some way, verbalize that one of my struggles in my life happened to be a son who was experiencing this. And um, I then shared that with the Sisters in Relief Society. And literally, there were at least three or four audible gasps that I was saying this about my own son and and uh, uh, at first I, I didn't know if I had chosen the right path but I felt such a prompting from the Lord that I needed to do this and and it has incidentally opened some avenues with members of my ward who now have come forward and asked us these same things. But what a blessing it has been to have a close friend who you can just sit down with and say, well, gosh, what what are you experiencing about this? Or, you know, how's this affecting your life? So it is definitely being more open with it than certainly I would have ever been. Now, let me tell you the blessing that came from that, though. After she gave that lesson, I wasn't in the ward yet. And I, I had the calling to teach Relief Society. I mentioned it several times in lessons when it was appropriate, you know, to make a point. And because she did that, I think a lot of people decide to look into things or become more knowledgeable. And this, it was a different place. Has there been any sense of ostracism or um, resistance toward either one of you as people have found out that you have sons who are experiencing same-sex attraction? I don't feel so. I don't either. I wouldn't know. I mean, I've, I've just changed words. but um, And I did say it and on, on Sunday. It came up, as I said. Uh, if, if, if I am being ostracized, I don't know it. <laughs> so, And I don't care. My, my belief is if, if you're going to judge my family or my son or me, because of this, I, it's not worth my worry. Well, I think it's an you important to. message to people who, you know, may be wondering, you know, should I talk to the members of my ward about this, that neither one of you have felt that the members of your ward have been hostile toward either of you for talking about it openly. No, no. no. And I, I think it's not something you can get up on the soapbox like, I would never stand up and testimony. I mean, that's not a testimony. Right. Um, but if it's pertinent to a lesson, then that's one thing. If it's your soapbox, that's another story. Now, in her ward, my former ward yesterday or Sunday, apparently 
because it was part of the lesson, there was a woman who made some pretty harsh statements. And I had I, I was visiting with the counselor in the Relief Society just be, prior to coming here, and she said, I'm so glad neither of you with the gay sons were in Relief Society because it got pretty uncomfortable and, and there were some negative comments made. So there's still a lot of room for improvement out there. But the thing is, if one of us had been there, we were very... I know I would have made Spoken a ki- kind remark because this person was indicating that it can be cured with drugs. And, you know, I mean, if that kind of misinformation gets out there, I mean, there's lots of ways that people can rise above it, but they're all spiritual and not, they're not drugs. So, um, you know, it, it, I think people do need to be open and brave and just accept this is, and we have a purpose. We're a resource. Right. Well, you know, one of the other things the article mentions is to advocate for your child when he or she is mistreated because of their identity. And, you know, I think that's what you've been talking about is, you know, not just what can you do to help your faith community to develop with respect to their awareness and and consciousness of this, but, um, but, you know, sticking up for your children and, and helping people to understand where they're coming from and the kinds of struggles that they're experiencing. Um, this one, I think, maybe goes along with the one we were talking about with um, uh, helping them to uh, su- helping support them in their identity. It says support your child's gender expression. Um, I think that's probably the same kind of thing we were talking about before. That you know, if they're feeling like you know they they like to they like to cook, you know, or you know they like to to decorate things, that um, that that's okay. And you can support them at the, at, in that. They can, you know, they can feel comfortable doing that. You know, I, I served my mission with Laotian refugees who live here in the United States. And one of the things we always struggled with is, uh, what do you do with this uh, culture that has had some practices that are inconsistent with the gospel? Um, there are other practices that are not inconsistent with the gospel, but they're not things that we do as Americans, right? So, you know, we had to try to differentiate what kinds of things can they continue to do within their culture to help them to feel validated within their traditions and their culture and their language, and what kinds of things do we need to help them to um, to avoid and to move away from, you know? And so... Um, you know, you, you don't sacrifice the animals and place them on an altar in, in the home, but, you know, wearing the traditional clothing and singing traditional songs, um, you know, those are entirely consistent with the gospel. So in sorting through these things, I, there, there are so many different parallels I think we can draw that, uh, that help people to understand how you can appropriately deal with these issues within the gospel context. Um, the last thing this article is mentioning as a suggestion is believe your child can have a happy future as an adult who experiences same-sex attraction. How do you feel about that? Is is that something that someone who's faithful to the church can hope for? Well, that's a big question, Steve. We have to keep hope. Uh, I know eventually it'll happen, but I, like I said, I'm kind of a, it's a natural characteristic of our family to be somewhat pessimistic. I don't plan for my son to change his lifestyle in this life, but um, we know it's not going to be part of eternity. So um, 
I can't. I don't foresee. I don't foresee it in this life. I have to. I have to mention that when my son first um, came out, and then we went through all of the jumping through hoops to see if we could find another way than than to ex- certainly accept a, a gay lifestyle. I was driving down the road with my son, and he said to me, Do you realize, Mom, that what you are asking me to do is to be unhappy for the rest of my life by either being celibate or, you know, being who I am? And, I mean, I just burst into tears because I thought, well, could you could you imagine that you know your happiness will be a celestial goal and in the celestial kingdom you will find all of this happiness but maybe i was saying to him well but your unhappiness now doesn't your happiness now doesn't doesn't matter to me or whatever and i uh it was one of the saddest moments as a parent that i've ever experienced of my son saying Mom, you're asking me to to um, to do something that would would be unhappiness for me uh, for my mortal existence. But we both felt that the the whole idea was that uh, okay, the, the eternal happiness would be a lot lot better than what you're wanting to experience in this mortal life. So much of the um, the gospel is to teach us to keep perspective, you know, that um, this life is just a, a blink in the eye of eternity and that we experience temptations and struggles and trials in this life. And we might think that it would be easier to, to give in and to, um, you know, uh, simply uh, abandon uh, a fight against um, our, you know, more base instincts um, you know, and that would seem to bring happiness for the short term. Short term. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I guess one of the ways to, to look at this is to, to, to ask ourselves if we're not uh, more happy in, in, in the struggle, you know, as we, as we try to overcome our temptations and our weaknesses and as, as we experience growth, um, if that doesn't bring happiness. As, as we are um, encountering hardships that, you know, that we may never uh, completely eradicate from our lives in this life. But have you, have you met people as you've associated with uh, some of these groups that, that uh, meet together within the church who, um, you know, maybe they're single, maybe, maybe they're people who have uh, married, um, who are happy or apparently happy, they say they're happy, um, adults who are experiencing same-sex attraction. I don't think we were necessarily intended to, to come to this earth and find happiness. I realize the scripture men are that they might have joy, but uh, I don't equate joy and happiness in exactly maybe the same ways as what you're you're saying, because I I guess I don't you know come right out and say to, to the people that I associate with that are experiencing this, you know, so are you happy? Because, you know, they could turn to me and I could say, well, it's been a real bad day, you know, but uh, in the eternal realm realm of, of finding joy versus 
happiness. Uh, yeah, I think that that I know a lot of people who are who have found happiness by, uh, you know, accepting who they are and and staying close to the Lord, and staying within the a gospel context when it comes to this. No question. My, we used to talk about this a lot when he first came out and um, was still trying to maintain his activity and his devotion to the gospel. And uh, as I m- briefly mentioned, I talked to him about his patriarchal blessing, which is very clear that he knew the Savior there and he championed his cause. And, um, you know, just uh, and as I read his blessing still, I mean, they're just all sorts of warnings and things suggested for him to bolster himself. And I, I said to him, you're such an easygoing person and you could sail through life and be active in the church. But perhaps one reason you have this challenge is to give you an impetus to draw really close to the Savior and to have to give it to him so that, you know, you can, you can deal with this and you can be happy in mortality despite the challenges you have. But it's, a, it's like the catalyst to keep you close to the Savior. And, you know, we talked about that a lot. And I, it didn't go that way, but uh, I think it did for a long time. I mean, he was pretty old before he ever, he had no, he was as pure as the driven snow <laughs> until, you know, I mean, he was a very faithful young man. And um, I, I, the reason I say I don't anticipate him coming back is because he, it took him a long time to decide what to do. And when he walked the 180, he, he, uh, I don't, I don't think he'll. I don't think he'll ever want to deal with um, what he would have to to come back. I, I could be wrong, but but I still see in his eyes, you know, that he, because he's not against the church, he's not bitter against the church, he's, he knows. I mean, nobody will ever tell me he doesn't know what's right, but he tries to pretend he doesn't. But um, he still has a lot of respect, and he likes to hear about things going on in the church, and, and I lost my thought. But um, it, I, I don't... I think there. What you said is exactly right. It's it's a it's a. It can, what better life can you have than to draw really close to the Savior? No matter what kind of trials, we all have trials, and to let it be your let it let it be what helps to strengthen you. Ties a perfect example. Isn't yes, that? yes. But on that vein, also, um, sometimes we talk about the fact. Sometimes parents of gays, we talk about the fact that does. Um, Who's who's here to to learn this? Are are is it all of a sudden this um, so many we hear so many of uh, of um, our youth are, are coming out, and is the lesson for us to learn Christ-like love uh, and to love people in spite of their dispositions or or whatever it might be sometimes we question maybe we need to learn to love more does that make sense sure yeah you know we're we're all imperfect people interacting with imperfect people and you know in that process uh, we can grow together as we face the, the the trials that come through you know are imperfect interactions. Mm-hmm. But again, it's important to keep perspective and right. to invite the Spirit into our lives, to be faithful to the covenants we've made, and, you know, follow the, 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 the plan that Heavenly Father has, has revealed for us. I wonder what you would say to uh, a woman. There was a woman recently who wrote a, uh, 
an article, I want to say it was published in the New York Times. She's a member of the church who was, I think she was getting to be in her late 30s and uh, still a virgin. And she talked about how she thought she was she was an attractive woman, but she just never really found anyone that uh, clicked with her to you know to get married to. And she's a professional woman, and she's a member of the church, and had always felt like it was important to uh, live the law of chastity. But now she was beginning to doubt that and wondering if she wasn't missing something in her life and that she wasn't fully an adult and that. You know, if she went out of this life um, having never slept with a man, that there was going to be, you know, something seriously wrong with her. It, it strikes me that, that there's a, a similarity there between uh, what she's being told as a member of the church and what someone with same-sex attraction is being told, that uh, you may make it through this entire life without having sex. And... Uh, this woman announced in this article that you know she was not going to go out of this world not having slept with a man, and uh, you know essentially she says it you know doesn't really matter to me so much now what the church says because this is too important. What what would you tell her? There are a lot of people that go through life without that experience, and I mean it's just so. I I, I think to put put weigh your whole eternal salvation on something like. So, I mean, of course, there's an internal aspect to this, but um, on, on such a worldly thing, it's such a physical thing, I, it's it's sad, especially if she's gone this long. You'd think that, um, I mean, I've, I've got a close friend who's very well known in the church, so I would never mention her name, but she's done it, and... Um, and is the done it by, you, you mean, she's a virgin, right? Yeah. She's, she's remained celibate. And she's uh, more like seventy. Um, yes, and she's remained celibate. And um, I mean, the blessing she has in her life because of her faithfulness, I mean, f- should far outweigh any experience that um, that she's giving up because of her devotion to the law of chastity and the gospel. I, I would say, no, keep yourself, keep yourself clean. Yeah, I, I, I find examples like that to be so admirable and and, and inspirational. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, and I think I think it's cruel to tell somebody that you're not fully adult, you're not a, fully a human being if if you go out of this Absolutely world with, without having experienced sex. That that that's not what you know everything that that this existence is about. That there's so much more to Absolutely. it than that. Yeah, I mean, we all know it's very basic, and it's a drive that's huge. And sometimes when we try and compare homosexuality to some other limitations and temptations and trials we have in life, it, as you've said before, it doesn't come across completely because it, this is a basic drive, and it's and it's huge. But it can be overcome by the Spirit. There's no question. I want to shift now and talk a little bit about the kinds of stereotypes that you have to deal with when... Other members find out that your sons experience same-sex attraction. What kind of things do you experience in that regard? Well, my, my son is a professional man and very well educated. And um, it's, it's amazing how many people have the idea that if you're gay and you're living the gay lifestyle, that you're wild and crazy, you like to party, you sleep with sleep around with a, you know all sorts of partners, uh, you're not monogamous. Um, there's a lot of people think that that's what it means to be gay. 
And of course, there's a huge element out there that live like that. And it becomes their whole being and, you know, they, they act the role in every way. And my son's not like that at all. He doesn't have any of the stereotypes. And as I say, he's, you know, he's a fine, upstanding citizen. He's in a monogamous relationship and, um, and he contributes to society very positively. So it's, you know, that, that, that part kind of hurts, you know, they can be smart. I mean, her son's very talented as well. I mean, extremely talented and, and lives a productive life. And, um, you know, and maybe that's a pride thing, which should enter in the way at all. But I, I make it very clear to people. I, I met somebody once not very long ago who uh, it was I was taking care of my mom and it has to do with her health issues. And it was just a couple that we were talking to and it came up naturally. And I said, well, I have a gay son. And the reaction was much very guttural. And it was much like um, the gas. Yeah, it was. Oh, you know, it was. And I just told him, I said, he's a fine man. I don't believe in the, what he does, but he's a fine man. He's a good citizen. He's a good person. You know? I think the media. And that, that's hard. That's difficult. I think the media sometimes perpetrates those stereotypes. Our uh, sons are, are neither one real feminine or, uh, you know, uh, anything like that. And uh, yet uh, I think that, you know, the media portrays a lot that that is what what happens. And I think we'd be surprised if we, you know, uh, with the statistics that we heard earlier that you mentioned, uh, that people who struggle with this uh, situation in their lives, they come from all walks of life and, and are all different professions and I think there's even active LDS people who are quite loving about this subject, who who have some notions in their head that uh, of the way they live. My daughter's employer are wonderful people, but one of them asked her once, "She's you don't really think that your brother is monogamous, do you?" And she said, mm, "Yeah," and I'm not gullible. She says, "No, he's monogamous. There's no question about that." And they. And really, you know, because they just assumed that if you were gay, particularly male, that you were out there sleeping around. You know, some people have thought that people are gay because of bad parenting. You know, Elder Holland taught that, he said, if you are a parent of one with same gender attraction, don't assume you are the reason for those feelings. No one, including the one struggling, should try to shoulder blame. Nor should anyone place blame on another, including God. Do you feel like others have blamed either of you for your son's same-sex attraction? I think sometimes we, we take the we don't have to have others that will will put the put the blame. We you know we kind of absorb that ourselves, unfortunately. But I think one of the biggest blessings that my son ever gave me was when he first did come out to me. He verbalized, "Mom." Under no circumstance ever do I want you to believe that you didn't mother me the correct way, love me the correct way, and that's why this is happened. And he said, if I had a switch on my body that uh, could say I'm I'm not gay, I'm I'm uh, I, I do you think I wouldn't wouldn't flip it? But he um, gave me that blessing, I believe, that uh, that said, Mom, please never 
think that anything that you have done or not done has been what quote unquote made me gay. Uh, yeah, and my son did that same thing, and he'd been in counseling for several years, and he said that the you know the counselor had dug into that, and he never could find any parental fault or anything. So yeah, it was nice to have that reassurance. He said nothing did you and dad ever did cause, and I'm not been be, abused. And what could be harder sort of to carry throughout oh. your life is I've caused this to happen to my child, and many people cannot get beyond that. And and so that's sometimes why we see broken homes because a parent can't get beyond that of feeling that way, or blaming God, or yeah, or blaming whoever they can. Whoever they yeah. Can. In 1992, the church issued a statement to church leaders that said, "If a person with homosexual problems chooses not to change, family members may have difficulty maintaining feelings of love and acceptance toward the person." Encourage them to continue loving the person and hoping that he or she may repent. What kind of emotions does a parent who has a testimony of the gospel go through when a loved one is in a same-sex relationship? In the very beginning, um, questioning everything you've ever done uh, that uh, or that has happened in your family that could could have caused something like this to happen. That certainly probably is one of the very first things. Uh, some profound heartache because a lot of your beliefs and your dreams uh, that have been wrapped up in this child, all of a sudden you begin to think those will not be realized. Yeah, that's a tough one. And for me, after I accepted the homosexuality, um, I, I had a hard time with him for a while, just like, what's what's with your integrity? Because, of course, when he left the church, then it becomes, you know, they, my former brother-in-law did the same thing. I don't know how you can't say, okay, I'm, I'm gay, but still maintains a belief in the gospel. And I guess they just think that it's their excuse, because my son will not say that anymore either. I know he still has warm feelings, he still cares. But he won't say he has a testimony anymore. And that that hurts more than the homosexuality because, you know, you always, he was a, I mean, totally faithful young man in every way. And I just don't know how you can just walk away like that or just, and I said, you know, I would feel a lot happier if you could say, I know the church is true, but I can't live it. How does your son feel about your involvement with the church? No, he's fine. He, I said, do you wish we would leave the church? I said that over the, just like my friend here said over the Prop 8 thing. That caused untold problems in many, many, many families for various reasons. Um, my bro, my sister and her husband actually went to New York to visit my son and his partner and because they're from Southern California and said, we love you. We care about you. But we also love the church, and we've been asked to do this, and we are going to do it. And they took that fine. Um, no, he does not wish we, we would leave the church. Absolutely not. Um, he just, um, which is good. He doesn't think that, he knows that we can love him and still be faithful to the church. And so that, my brother will say to me, he has the light of Christ in his eyes, Kathleen, and has not left. Well, that's different than the Holy Ghost, but yeah, he he's 
you know, there. I guess there's hope. There's hope, but I don't anticipate it. I just wish he could have said that, but he wouldn't. You know, it may seem like a little thing, but it's huge to me. Uh, just to know that your child still believes in correct principles and, and something that he held so strongly for so long, taught the gospel for two years faithfully, you know, he, how do you just walk away from that and say it's not true? You know, I... And he hasn't said it's not true. He just won't say it is. Yeah. But it's that's that would mean so much to me if I knew he still maintained some level of a testimony, um, even if he can't live it or won't live it, chooses not to. In my son's case, I even though I've mentioned that he was bitter uh, over Prop 8, uh, he still would continue to say, I'm glad that I was raised a Mormon. So, yes. yes. How, how do you... How do you go out in the mission field and for two years um, uh, teach people and and then just walk away from it. I'm, I'm not exactly sure how that works. I, um, it's I've true, always been given point. kind of childlike faith, you know, so, um, but... Uh, My son can recognize that too. He's glad he was raised a Mormon. Yeah. And he'll t- tell people that very honestly. I was raised Mormon and he'll defend the church when he needs to. Um, which is, I guess, good, but it's a lot different than saying, I, I know it's true, I just can't live it, or I won't live it, or I've decided not to live it. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be universal for a lot of a lot of them that walk away. They All of a sudden, they, you know, they don't, they don't have that. Of course, you lose, you, you you lose your light when you walk away. Sure. Yeah, it justifies their actions, and you lose the spirit when you leave, walk away and start sinning, so I guess it can happen, but... I'd be a lot happier if I knew he still had yeah. that. What do you think that ward members can do? Maybe ward members who live in the areas where your sons live, um, or maybe ward members who are in different wards, who um, where, where there are members of the church who experience same-sex attraction. What can the ward members do to help meet the needs of these individuals who are experiencing same-sex attraction? I would give anything if home teachers still were allowed to go visit my son or or if he would want to come into church and, and sit in the church and um, at least participate in, um, in, in being there. Um, I would love that if, if that could happen, you know, in a perfect world. Uh, yeah, that's what I would like. Now, when you said um, that they would be allowed, it's not the church that's not allowing home teachers to go in and see your son. I guess you're saying that your son wouldn't allow home teachers to come and see him. Um, home teachers did come uh, to visit him for a while, but... Uh, in New York? Um, no, no, not in New York. Um, but uh, uh, then they, they just stopped coming, and um, I just wish that that wouldn't have been the case. I think that he would have accepted that, well, here's a here's a, a person from the church that is uh, concerned about me and, and realizing that that person has been sent from the Lord, you know, as a home teacher or as a bishop or, or uh, whatever. I didn't have the same experience where um, he was, he stayed close once he uh, he came out, came, stayed close to you. 
No, no. To the church. To, oh, to the church. Oh, I see. Right, right. He stayed close to me up until the Prop 8 experience. And then, you know, that caused a, a rift, which we're still working on mending. But uh, I just, I would, I would welcome a day where... Um, even someone who is openly gay could certainly sit next to me on the pew and uh, at least mm-hmm. have that experience. Yeah, that would be a great day, even if they were living in in a partnership, if they could just go to church. Sure. That I, I you know, of course they couldn't take the sacrament right. or anything like that, but just be welcome. I mean, well, New York's a place where there's a whole ward of them, as my other son describes, because they're music students and so forth, and, you know, a lot of artsy people in New York and uh but my son they they have tried to contact him and he won't open the door I think his partner has a lot to do with that Mm -hmm. he he thinks they're hounding him and and my son has explained to him no this is the way the church works they take care of their people and um you know but his partner doesn't see it that way but no he won't he's afraid of facing excommunication and he, he doesn't want to deal with it that's the way he puts it I don't want to deal with it I said, well, you know, they could do it without you there, and, and so what? I mean, mm-hmm. do, you, do you really care? You know, I mean, you could go to church if you wanted to. And, and years ago, he used to say to me, sometimes I think I'm going to. Well, and even members of the church who've been excommunicated are welcomed to come to sacrament meeting and yes. welcomed to come to Sunday school and, and priesthood meetings. And, um, you know, it's... It, you know, I, I, uh, I've used this example before, but, um, you know, if, if all of our sins, you know, smelled like cigarette smoke, <laughs> mm-hmm, uh, the, the, the chapel would be a really stinky place. But, uh, you know, if somebody's smoking, we don't tell them, you know, you can't come to church until you stop smoking. We invite them in and, and try to help them to feel the spirit, try to help them feel fellowshiped. And um, it seems to me it shouldn't be any different with people who are experiencing same-sex attraction. And there's nothing about the gospel or about policies of the church that preclude that. I suppose maybe it's it's attitudes on behalf of members of the church and members who are experiencing same-sex attraction both that, right. that maybe exclude sure. each other. Sure. But right. I've read um, some books that include stories of there are couples who are living gay lifestyle who go to church. And they're very well accepted in their wards. So it does many happen. With, many, well, recently some with callings. Right. Certain, certain callings that uh, don't, you know, don't require priesthood or anything. Yeah, they're, they're, they're out there. They are there. So you know, um, that's awesome. There are many people, I'm, I'm sure, who are experiencing same-sex attraction who are afraid to tell their parents about it. Can you give us some insight from a parent's perspective about what you would like to hear from your child, you know, considering you've both already been through this? If you're giving advice to a young man or a young woman who is experiencing same-sex attraction, what would you tell them? I'd tell them to to open up as soon as possible. When I, when my son finally told me at my question, I mean, I had to he he said he had, he said I cannot believe I just did that. My counselor's been telling me that I need to. And he said, I've been so afraid. And he said, it's felt like the weight of the world's off my shoulders. And I, I would I would counsel any young person to tell their parents, no matter, you know, and they've got to learn to be patient with their parents, just as they expect their 
parents to be patient with them because all too often, you know, I've read enough to know there's a lot of, um, there are a lot of them that expect, you know, acceptance and understanding and everything right now. And they've got to learn to be, you know, give family a little bit of time to process and, but keep communicating. Uh, communication's huge. It's absolutely huge. But it is their trust. Yeah. They, uh, the they trust need, has to be there that, uh, that, you know, and, and I think that's something that you, you build from the time they're little on up. Uh, they don't just, you can't just all of a sudden expect that, you know, we could, you could go to your parents with something like this. Um, but uh, I've actually taken um, some of the young men in different groups that I've belonged to um, aside and said, okay, I'm your mom. Uh, Practice on me, you know, uh, tell me exactly and, uh, you know, what you, and, and I'll give you back what you might expect, you know, that your mom might say or your dad might say. And uh, and I, I think that it's a healthy thing to be able to talk through that with someone uh, that, you know, again, I go back to that kind of obligated. If this has been, uh, if, if we were possibly prepared for this, in our lives, in uh, in our uh, premortal existence, then we should go forward and say, you know, let me help you out. Let me, you know, talk through this with you. I've had young men who called me in the middle of the night who I've helped with to, to talk through this and said, wow, it was a lot easier than I ever imagined that, that it would be. And my parents still love me and, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure the opposite happens too, but I think that, you know, we we need to kind of help them on those paths, especially the the young ones. You know, to go to your folks, uh, trust them that, uh, you know, their their love has been there for you, and and it will continue to be. And if they don't find what they need there, because some parents will react in negative ways, that they should be. Uh, this is something they should talk to their priesthood leaders about. If they've come to the point in their lives where they really actually believe this about themselves and they and they know that it's a it's a struggle for them same sex attraction then they need to act on it uh my son did act on uh, it by talking about it you mean yeah yes yes act act on it with by telling someone telling people who can help them but you know my son said that he he couldn't put a finger on it for so long and then when he could he kept just it'll go it'll go away it'll Mm -hmm. go away Mm -hmm. never communicate to anyone priesthood leader or otherwise that's probably the most normal thing of all is they they hope and believe that this will go away. And maybe if I do all of these things perfect, and, and for many of them, it, it can. I'm not saying that it doesn't. It just didn't happen to be our life experience with our own boys. Right. I can imagine that, you know, for some young men and some young women, um, you know, as they're uh, approaching puberty and, and that, you know, their body's going through all these different changes, that they're confusing emotions and feelings that they're having. Um, so even if they're not sure that they're, you know, experiencing same-sex attraction, would you encourage them to talk with their parents or talk to priesthood leaders, even, even if they're not sure what they're experiencing? In today's world, I would, because mm-hmm. it's so, people are so much better informed. I mean, the brethren and the, you know, local priesthood authorities are so much better informed. Not that there's still not an issue, a la- some lacking, but they've got the resources. And it's so much more out there in the public that... Yeah, I do because I I I can't tell you how often I've wished that I'd known when my son was, you know, that my husband and I could have talked to him about it and steered him in ways that would, 
you know, I mean, he, he, it's a miracle. He got through just great. You know, he, he was a great kid and uh, never caused us a minute's trouble, but he's, it hurts me to know that he suffered with this alone mm. for so long. And if really he hadn't let it go so it. long without, you know, he was in college before he got counseling after his mission. And, um, you know, what, what could have been, you know, had it, had he talked to us about it sooner and it didn't happen. But yes, I, and I think priesthood, even though some of them maybe aren't informed as, as, as much as they should be, if they're doing their job, which most of them certainly are, they'll look into it, they'll find out. And if they don't know, they'll send them to someone who does, you know, I, who can help them? Well, we're all learning more and more about this issue. And I think that uh, what you've both shared tonight can be really helpful to help a lot of other people to learn more about it. You've, you're both very insightful, and, and it's been great having this discussion with you. Thank you Thank so you. much for asking us, Steve. Questions or comments about this episode can be sent to podcast at fairlds.org or join the conversation at fairblog.org. Tell your friends about us and help increase the popularity of this podcast by subscribing in iTunes and by writing a review. Music for this episode was provided courtesy of Lawrence Green. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or of FAIR.